What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed? What would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of Global Swedish Design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people to dream. Before I started Kiki K, I had a dream that I could bring Swedish design to the world to create beautiful products that bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to help you dream big. I want to create a global movement to inspire 101 million dreamers to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. Hi there and welcome back to another episode. This week I am so excited as we have a very special guest back on the podcast for the second time, the very inspiring Robin Sharma. Robin has been such a big influence on my own life and especially when it comes to all things personal development and personal growth. I have read all Robin's books. You may have heard of some the Mind Who Sold His Ferrari, which became a global bestseller, and also the 5am club. I also used to attend Robin's annual Titan event in Toronto, where I would spend four days with him and some incredible speakers from around the world. And then I have also been part of his personal mentor program. So Robin has had a big influence on my life, and I love his view on life. Robin has just come out with a new book, The Everyday Hero Manifesto, and to say that I love this book is an understatement. There is so much gold in this book, and you will learn insider insights on how the most creative, productive, and prosperous people on the planet install their peak habits, run their days, and orchestrate soaring lives. You will also discover powerful practices to upgrade your energy, amplify your vitality and extend your longevity. And you will also discover a calibrated blueprint for making true masterwork that leads your field, neuroscience-based techniques to turn troubles into triumphs, fears into fuel and hurts of the past into daily heroism. And also unusual and hard-won wisdom to upgrade your aliveness, incubate sublime serenity and dignify the spiritual liberty that creates a beautiful life. Doesn't that sound amazing? I love this book so much that this is the first book we will read as I launch my personal growth club. I will tell you more about that after the episode. So just sit back and be inspired by the one and only Robin Sharma. Hi, Robin, and welcome back. I am so excited to have you. Christina, it's great to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you. Before we start, I already asked what 
your dream as a child was last time we spoke. So I'm curious now, do you have a dream for your future or one that you're currently working on? Well, I mean, if you look at the world right now, there's a plague, there's wildfires, there's social unrest, there's economic upheaval. And if I had one dream, it would be to see much more peace in the world, much more humanity, much more connection, much more beauty. Yeah, that's a beautiful dream to have. And let's hope that will be the case. So let's talk about first, congratulations on your amazing book. Thank you so much. So for everyone listening, it's the Everyday Hero Manifesto, and it's just so good. I read it as soon as I got it. I spent a whole day in bed reading it, and every morning I'm listening to it on my on audio. And it's so inspiring, and I, I feel like to have this chat today is like being a kid in a candy store. <laughs> I don't know where to, <laughs> I don't know where to start. So I think we should actually start with with chapter one, with a manifesto for the everyday hero within. And you say that no hands of nature have now placed you. Your past need not prescribe your future. Tomorrow can always be made into something better than today. You are human and this is what humans are able to do. So how do we do that? Well, I mean, there are, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of tactics and methodologies and learning models in the everyday hero that will help you do that. As you know, Christina, I think one of the ways is to start the process of remembering who you truly are. A lot of us are so busy being busy, we're disconnected from our highest selves. And transformation begins with awareness. So just starting to be more aware of what happened to my dreams. I know you're all about living your dreams. And what happened to my dreams? What happened to the sparkle in my eye? What were the values that were dear to me when I was younger that I might not be loyal to right now? The starting point is just begin the journey back home to the person that you were before the world taught you to doubt, disbelieve, and fear. And then you start getting in all the routines and rituals and habits and methodologies that I walk the readers through in the book. I would say one thing is really important, and that is trauma. What happens is as we leave the perfection of childhood and the innocence of childhood, we pick up micro trauma and macro trauma. So we it could be macro trauma, like you know, people go through divorces and people have illnesses and losses of loved ones and accidents, or micro trauma. You don't get invited to your best friend's birthday party in grade five or a teacher says to you, oh, you'll never be able to do what you want to do. And all of this trauma begins to create what I call a field of hurt. And the field of hurt is really an energy field. It's comprised of these lower grade emotions like guilt and shame and fear and sorrow and anger. And it really builds up and it blocks us from intimacy with our genius. And that's such an important point. And you really don't hear it talked about that much in the world right now, that the real route to ultra productivity and true success and prosperity and impact is this emotional wounding that we pick up. And if you start using the different methods, like everything from, you know, talk therapy or meditation or hypnosis, or even the Afro tool I talked about in the Everyday Hero Manifesto, which has been very, very powerful for my clients, you start to move through all of that subconscious wounding. And automatically you become more positive in terms of your thinking, more creative, much more energy, much more productive. 
I couldn't agree more. There's so many different chapters that has been talking. I'm going through a lot of business challenges at the moment and a lot of we're on this side of the world, we're still in lockdown and it's a lot of suffering people right now. And there are so many chapters that have helped me getting through some of the things that I'm dealing with. There's one thing that I come across so often with the people who are in my little circle. And you say in your book that when no one believes in you is when you most need to believe in you. But how do we how do we actually believe that when you know so many people are are really driven by fear and self-doubt and you know lacking confidence. So how do we how do we go about removing that? Well it starts off small. There's there's a brain tattoo I, I have in the book and You've heard me share it, and it's small, daily, seemingly insignificant improvements when done consistently over time lead to stunning results. I'll repeat it again because I think it's so important. Small, daily, seemingly insignificant improvements when done consistently over time lead to stunning results. So how do you start having faith in yourself? It's these little daily steps, what I call micro-bravery. So you just say, you know what? I want to believe in myself more. I'm going to say yes to that presentation that frightened me. I'm going to write the first page of that book that'll change the world. I'm going to make the first phone call to a lawyer to incorporate my business. You know, that'll be the startup that changes the world. Little acts of bravery allow us to start believing in ourselves because there's a, a simple idea, which is it's easier to behave your way into a new way of thinking then think your way into a new way of behaving. As we start to behave as the everyday heroes and leaders and industry titans and movement makers that we want to be, we actually start rewiring and reordering our psychology. We build new neural pathways. We also start to rewire our emotional lives. And we become fearless by leaning into the things that we fear step by micro step at a time. So that's one way to build more faith in ourselves. Second is related to that, and that's daring. I think, I think you know, the greatest danger of life is playing it small. You know, doing difficult, scary things is actually, it's so central to our joy, but it also allows us to catch glimpses of our highest selves and develop more faith in ourselves. When we start to do the things that we're terrified to do, we respect ourselves more, and that does give us faith. Third thing is, there's one chapter in the Everyday Hero Manifesto called the IPOP principle. And it's, you know, input positivity, output positivity. You mentioned right now the world, you know, there's so much negative news. There's so much toxicity. There are so many people caught in so much fear. And yes, this is a time for, for great suffering. But I also believe this is a time for extraordinary possibility. Uh, the world has never needed heroes and beauty and creativity and productivity and kindness so much. So if you input positivity, then you're going to output positivity. What I'm suggesting is if rather than watching the news and being around people who are complaining and worried, you read books of heroism, books of wisdom, podcasts like yours, great audio books. You have conversations with people whose lives you want to be living. You structure your days so you're surrounded by inspiration. You go to art galleries, you write in a journal, all those kinds of practices. Those things will also allow you to become a stronger person who believes more in your truest self. 
I couldn't agree more. And I love, I mean, your book has probably not come in a better time because I think we all need to take action. There's just so many amazing chapters to really contemplate. There's one quote in your book by Norman Cousins, and he says that the great tragedy of life is not death, but what we allow to die inside us while we live. And I love that. And it's so aligned because my my big dream is to inspire 101 million people to write down three dreams and then go and chase them. But how do we get out? I love how you said the waiting room of life. How do we get out of the waiting room? Because so many people have so many amazing dreams, but actually, you know, I think I think some people actually don't realize until we, you know, I guess coming to the midpoint of our life that life is short. It's so true. I think it's one of the greatest sadnesses of human life. We we are born into these incredible dreams and then we get schooled into average. And we all know the reasons why, you know, we, we're trained to fear, we get busy, we have bills to pay, life hurts us, we contract versus open up. So how do we reconnect with who we're meant to be? It's it's what I was suggesting. It's that those acts of micro bravery. Also, of course, our routines are very, very important. You, you know, often it's genius is less about genetics and it's much more about our habits. So many of us, it, I, I would say it's it's very easy, especially right now, to drop into victimhood versus heroism. It's very easy right now to say, look at what's happening in the world. I am powerless. And that's just not true. We can't control the plague. We can't control the wildfires. We can't control the protests and the social unrest and all the fear. But we can control how we live out each day. We can, you know, as you know, I wrote this book, The 5am Club, you know, we can get up early and spend 60 minutes, what I call the victory hour, 20 minutes of exercising to create that pharmacy of mastery in our brains, 20 minutes of reflection, writing in a journal or praying or meditating or reading, 20 minutes of growth where we're learning. Now it's six o'clock. We feel fundamentally better. We can do that. We can set up daytime routines so we get to work and we're much more productive versus being addicted to distraction and playing with our phones all day. We can show leadership in, in our work versus being a someone who's just always complaining about problems. We can install routines such as the second wind workout where after you finish work, you go out for a nature walk. That makes you feel better. It gives you more energy. It connects you to a higher source. It allows you to become more creative. We can install a wonderful pre-sleep ritual. So we sleep in a cool bedroom with no technology. Maybe we take a bath before we go to sleep or do gratitude lists. Maybe, you know, do a prayer or meditation. So we sleep even better, which increases our productivity. And when you start doing these habits, you create an upward spiral of success where you create momentum and energy and self-faith and you become more productive. You start creating results, which makes you more optimistic, which allows you to become even braver and do even greater things. Couldn't agree more. And I've implemented so many things from being in Iconex many, many years ago. There were so many, actually so many things that I have slipped with as we do when life happens to us or or come in our way. So it was such a good reminder to go back to all the things that I learned many, many years ago. So in your book, you actually talk about that it's so easy to be like a victim and then you go, you have five leaps from going from victim to hero. 
But you are saying also that it's that it's not e- always easy to do this. And I think most people really want things to be easy. We have that instant gratification. So how do we go from from you know going away from those things that we sometimes do without awareness and um, and go to to actually go from thinking we can't do it and then actually do it by not just doing the easy things? We build ourselves into our highest and most heroic selves, Christina, when we consistently do difficult things. Society says to us, live an easy life. Society says to us, if you're, if you're uncomfortable, there's something, something wrong. What I'm suggesting is you actually want to pursue discomfort daily because that is how you become stronger. You know, and you're talking about chapter six in the Everyday Hero Manifesto. I'm looking at it right now. It's called <laughs> The Victim, The Hero Leap. And there were actually, we might want to take your listeners through the five points. Would that be okay? Of course. Okay. So the first leap is shifting from a mindset of can't to the mentality of can. The second leap to go from any form of victimhood to heroism is the victim makes excuses. The hero delivers results. By the way, beneath every excuse lies a fear. Oh, I don't have time to work out every day. What are you scared about? Oh, I don't have time to launch my startup. What are you frightened about? Oh, I don't have time to find the love of my life. What are you terrified about? Third leap, the victim lives in the past. The hero makes their future brighter. The fourth leap, the victim is busy being busy. What a, what a tragedy in our world right now. How many people are busy being busy? versus the leap, which is the hero's productive. Let us not confuse movement with progress. Let us not confuse busyness with productivity. In this world right now, so many people are saying, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to live my dreams. I don't have time to pursue my my priorities. I don't have time to handcraft a world-class life. And if you were to step outside and watch them live out their day, they're spending hours upon hours you know, on social media or on different apps or surfing online or addicted to distraction. And then the fifth leap is the victim takes from the world, the hero gives to the world. And you know, this is a big through line in in everything I I write about and what I believe in. I I really do believe that ultimately life is a very short ride. Uh, You know, I'm here in Rome right now. A lot of the great emperors, you know, they're not remembered. And one of my favorite books is The Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. Uh, And I refer to it in the book. He talks about, you know, these great emperors lived their entire lives for a year on the calendar, a year named after them. And yet, you know, so his point, Marcus Aurelius's point is like, what's really life all about? You know, it's not about applause. It's not about money and fame and those things. Those things are so fleeting and real heroism and I think the real source of joy is giving your life over to a cause that's larger than yourself. And I think that's how we really come to life and light up in this messy world. When Whether we're bakers or coders or prime ministers or presidents or yoga teachers or taxi drivers, if we can say, you know what, I'm going to give my life over to being kinder, being more excellent, exemplifying possibility doing my work like it's the most important work in the world, living by my values in a world that often forgets those true enduring values. I think that's a great source of joy, energy, and it's, it's a great way to live life beautifully. Absolutely. 
Do you know, one of the things that I love the most when we were coaching together in IconX many years ago was to hear how you were using your journal and journaling. It was just so inspiring because I'm a journaling person as well. But you say in the book that the practice of journaling daily has pretty much saved your life. So I love for you to share with our listeners how how journaling actually have changed you or saved you, but also how do you do it? Because I think you do it in such a beautiful way in terms of reliving everything that you've done during the day, et cetera. Sure. I, you know, journaling is just so central to my daily routines. I think you're referring to the book is very, it's the most personal book I've ever written. It's part memoir, part handbook for world-class productivity and part playbook for spiritual liberty. So it's a it's a quirky book that goes from productivity and prosperity in the world and impact and living our dreams to also finding serenity, peace and connecting with your higher self. And the chapter you're talking about is actually the one where I say at that time my private journals were were taken. And that's another story, but why do I journal? What do I journal about? Well, I think I think it's incredibly powerful for a human being to step outside of their thinking and think about how they're living. I mean, often we are so consumed by daily activities, we're not very reflective. And yet, what's the point of spending our finest hours climbing mountains? And at the end of our lives, we realized we climbed the wrong ones. So, just off the top of my head, if you were to ask me why I journal, I'd say, you mentioned you're going through a painful time right now in terms of some business challenges. And when I've gone through outright tragedies in my life, I would just pour my pain onto fresh white pages. And I would just write about how I was feeling. And that allowed me to move through the pain. By writing about my suffering, I became intimate with the emotions. And by being intimate with the emotions and actually feeling them through to release, I let them go and I found freedom. It didn't happen in a day. Sometimes it would be daily journaling for four months. But so I'd say, number one, you're going through difficult times. You can process through pain in a journal. Number two, I write almost daily the man I want to be, the dreams I want to fulfill, because I think intentions are incredibly powerful. So by writing about here are the values I want to live by, here are the weaknesses I have and, and the things that I know I want to improve, you know, by, by staying intimate with the person I want to be, each day becomes a platform to get closer to the person I want to be. Third thing, if I go to a great restaurant, I always, when I leave the restaurant, I'll pick up the business card that's usually at the entryway, turning over a cup of good coffee. I'll take my glue stick, and I'll, <laughs> I'll, right? I'll, I'll travel with my glue stick and my markers and everything when I, on airplanes. And I will take the business card and I will glue it into my journal and I'll write about the meal so I can relive it. And then I'll sometimes I do a lot of deconstructions. I will deconstruct. Why was this restaurant so good? Okay, it's because of this. And then there was a human connection. And every time I go there, the food is consistent. And this tasted great. And the server said this. And that was a great lesson. So I deconstructed, which, as you know, the three-step success formula I talk about in the Everyday Hero Manifesto, with better awareness, you can make better choices, better choices, better results. So the third thing, the reason I, I write in a journal is it allows me to relive the experience and go deeper into the experience. Uh, fourth thing, when I'm confused about something, we're all, we all get confused because I think a human life and heroism is really 
a process of going from clarity to confusion. And then when you're growing, you're in a lot of confusion. The ego thinks it's, it's bad, but you stay with the confusion and you move to the next level of clarity. So writing in a journal allows me to clarify, okay, what's going on? Why don't I understand this? And so I think that's another reason I journal. Then also just gratitude. You know, every day I just write down what I'm grateful for. Often it's the same things. It's my family. It's you know personal development. It's to get to do what I get to do. But often it's like micro gratitude. It makes me think of the Persian proverb. I, I cursed the fact I had no shoes until I saw the person who had no feet. So just really getting intimate with gratitude and the blessings we have in our life. A lot of people are talking about gratitude right now, but there's lots of very good science, like the work of Sonia Lubomirsky, one of the leaders in the field of positive psychology. She talks about deliberate gratitude and how essential it is to a happy life. I often get asked how I cope with the working a lot, raising a family and, you know, that work-life balance that a lot of people are trying to attain. And I always say that journaling is what kept me sane over, you know, the startup days and then the, you know, the hardships and all the challenges that came my way. When I journaled about them, it just felt like that was my thinking on paper and it always solved my issues that way. It's so true. And I mean, just even writing, it, it puts you in a flow state. It gets, it's an escape from the world. You know, it's like, I, I've been journaling for so many years. It's almost like I can't not journal. I need to write. I need to, it's, it's a great way to express ourselves. And, and you know what you can even, I don't know if you do this, Christina, but you know, sometimes you can even go and look back. You know, what were you thinking and dealing with and experiencing five years ago? And you can actually, you know, someone once said to me, what does the fish know of the water within which it swims? And often we can't see our growth because we're so into it every day. Well, if you go back and look even three years or a year ago, you go, what? I was, I was struggling with that a year ago. Now it's easy. And I, because I do so many, you know, I've done so many of your courses and so read all your books. I, I write a lot and it's so good to kind of capture it in my journal. So I underline the book, like the book, the um, everyday hero manifesto is like I've written all over it and there's, post-it notes everywhere (laughs) but I still like to write it down at the same time so I read and then I write at the same not that exactly at the same time but I often like for example when you were sharing the big five it just got me really thinking because there's a few things that I kind of forgotten that you taught me so I was like what are my big fives and and then I just started to write about that it's yeah it's just so so more powerful to remember things when you actually um, write things down like that. I think that's so true. And I've been doing a lot of media for for this new book. And often people will ask me, but, you know, can human beings really change? And, you know, people are so busy. How can they do things like journaling or the other methodologies you teach in the book? And it's like so many people want the rewards of world class, but they're not willing to put in the sweat equity to receive world class. Yeah. So it's almost like, can we really do it? You know, can we do, of course, I know you've done it and of course you could do it, but you can't get the results if you're not willing to build the habits and the routines and the rituals and start the process of reprogramming your mindset, start doing the heart set healing. So your emotional wounds get healed. I mean, it's incredible how, how, each day, if we start doing these things, we can see these small results. And over time, these small results create a tsunami of success and happiness and 
wisdom and bravery. But if we if we don't even believe that we can change, then we won't even do the work required to change. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, I always come back to, we all have 24 hours and we just have to choose what we feel is important to us. And that's, you know, that's where the result is really. Totally. Actually, I just wanted to touch quickly on, the, there was a beautiful story about the chestnut seller that you walked past in the middle of the night. And I love the saying, because I think this is so relevant for so many people who kind of lost their jobs, businesses and loved ones in, in the in with COVID and everything. So he said, I'm still alive so I can still dream. And obviously because I'm all about dreaming, I um, I love that. So can you just share a quick version of that beautiful story? Absolutely. So there was a, a European city and I was walking late at night. I love to do these night walks, you know, sometimes two or three hours in different cities when most people are, when people are sleeping, I think it was just before midnight. And uh, tourists were streaming out of restaurants and it was starting to get very, very quiet. And I saw this person in a square and he was, you know, selling chestnuts. He was, I think he had a woolen hat and he was hunched over his chestnuts and he was there offering his, his wares to people who were walking home. So we had a conversation and he opened up to me and he basically said, you know, he, he used to be a successful business person. He ran into difficulty. He faced tragedy, but he uh, he didn't give up and he believed in himself and he didn't play victim and he didn't demand that the world help him. He helped himself and he got this little stand and he started selling chestnuts and he said, you know, I feel happy that I get to do this. And then I go on in that chapter, I say, if he continues to do that, who knows? You know, he seemed very entrepreneurial. He might have a second stand and a third chestnut stand and hire people to work with a chestnut field and a, you know, start a chestnut factory and become a multinational, or he might not. But I just thought the chestnut, I think the chapter was called the chestnut seller doctrine. And I think it's really important right now because it's so easy to blame our circumstances. And yet we are human. And so we have power and people say, but you know, that's not realistic. Of course it's realistic. Read, read so many of the great biographies and autobiographies of the world's greatest human beings. And how many of them had nothing. They grew up in poverty or incredible difficulty. I mean, the whole story of heroism is ordinary people who were thrust into acute adversity and who rather than being bitter and being victims, they overcame it. Yeah. And so we do have power. And especially in this time right now, we can say, okay, you know, look at all the difficulty. And it is a tragic time in the world. Having said that, we've, the world has, if you look at history, we've gone through tragic times. And what makes your everyday heroism is each of us saying, okay, how can I use this time to become stronger, more loving, more creative? I mean, there's a, ch a chapter in the Everyday Hero Manifesto called um, Why I Write to Heartbreak Country Music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? It's because it's like it's when you get intimate with pain and your suffering and all that kind, of, that's when you do your greatest art. I was thinking about that. <laughs> I haven't listened to much country music. I actually, because I love silence, I um, 
I was thinking maybe I need to listen to more music to get more creative. Well, I, I wrote the book over 16 months during the pandemic. I would start writing and I, I just had this, I have these soundtracks of country music and um, uh, it just, it always had this ability to open up my heart. I watched a documentary the other night, Christina, on Garth Brooks. And there was a songwriter who was interviewed and she said the same thing. She goes, you know, the right song, you know, country music song, it just like opens you right up. And so I've been listening to um, Chris Stapleton, Chris Stapleton, Whiskey Myers, some of these country artists and their music. It just goes right into your soul. And to me, that allowed me to, you know, go into flow state and just really open up and go to places in my writing that I, I hadn't been able to, to go to before. It's so beautiful. Let's talk about habits. I have a bit of a passion for habits. I have a little habit club where we all focus on one habit for 66 days and make it automatic eventually. I would love to talk about the habits that you think everyone should start with so you talk in the book about to have the rewards that only five percent of the population experience you really do have to hardwire the habits and install ways of being that 95 percent of the population are unwilling to embrace so what kind of habits should we start with if we are new to that one of the simplest habits is what i call the 60 minute student education is inoculation against disruption and so look at the disruption and volatility in the world right now the more we can learn and read and study and build our knowledge base and grow, the more value we will be able to bring to the world. And the world rewards the value that we deliver, not only economically. I mean, you look at the most successful business people. Those are people who delivered extreme amounts of value. Steve Jobs delivered great value to many, many millions of people, and he was rewarded financially. But I also believe in karma. I believe I very much believe in karma. What you put out to the world, the world sends you back. I think one of the key habits is this 60-minute student where we turn off. I mean, victims love entertainment. Leaders and heroes love education. We spend 60 minutes every single day studying a book, listening to a podcast, going through an online course, reviewing our journal notes. Very powerful. Second habit that I think is very valuable is what I call the second wind workout. If you believe that exercise is a game changer, I mean, often we don't want to go to the gym or work out, but after the workout, we feel fantastic. We release the dopamine, the brain derived neurotrophic factor, the serotonin, the norepinephrine, we feel so much better. Well, if you believe exercise is that valuable, why would you only do one workout a day? So the second wind workout is just before you go home, you exercise, and, and as, as often as possible, you do it in nature. And, you know, in Japan, they have forest bathing. There's so many benefits of being in nature, but that's a great habit to install. You'll have more energy, more creativity. You're more present in the evening with your family and your loved ones. And uh, you make better choices because your willpower is stronger. So that would be another habit. Of course, I have to say the 5 a.m. club. Joining the five-game club, winning the battle of the bed, putting mind over mattress really is one of the most valuable habits anyone could install. Uh, I talked a lot about it in my book, The 5 a.m. Club. But if you look at 
many of the titans of industry, the great movement makers, people like Nelson Mandela, some of the greatest artists, these people all, all, not all of them, of course, but many of them had one thing in common. They got up before the sun. In Indian culture, there is a term called Brahma Murti. And it means it it's basically speaks to this time between four and six in the morning when there is just an incredible stillness in the air. And the philosophy says, this is the best time to meditate. This is the best time to read from the books of wisdom because they will have the greatest impact on transforming you internally. So getting up at 5 a.m. and going through the 2020-20 formula that I talk about in the book, what it does is it sets you up for an amazing day because the way you start your day dramatically affects the way your day unfolds. The Spartan warriors say, sweat more in training and you'll bleed less in war. Since I started doing coaching with you, I definitely have put that 5 a.m. And, and for anyone listening, we did a 5 a.m. cover with Robin. Um, so I'll put that in the show notes so everyone can listen to that if you haven't already. I also love your 90-91 rule. I love you to just talk through that quickly as well for our listeners. Sure. Well, when we show up at work, it's showtime. And when we show up at work, it's like our early hours are our most important hours. And yet, I think too many good souls get to work, and then they start chatting, and then they check their social media feed. And there's a very powerful term called cognitive bandwidth, and there's a very powerful term called emotional residue. Cognitive bandwidth speaks to, we wake up in the morning and we have a full well of cognition. And every time we check social media, we lose some of that cognitive bandwidth. Every time we have a conversation, we lose some of it more. If you keep on doing that in, in your first hours of the morning, you'll have no focus left to do your important work that allows you to lead your field. Attention residue means every time we turn on the TV, we leave some of attention on what we were just watching. Every time we open our phone and check an app, we leave some of our attention there. You keep on doing that even for the first few hours, you have no attention for the rest of the day. So the 90-91 rule speaks to the a commitment, which is for the next 90 days, spend the first 90 minutes of your workday on your single most valuable priority that would allow you to push your magic into the world. Next 90 days, first 90 minutes, an ironclad rule. You don't fool around. You don't chit-chat. You do real work versus fake work for 90 minutes. So you push that one project that will allow you to change the game out into the world. We all have one project, one book, or one piece of code, or one new product. If we put it out in the world, it would allow us to have a massive influence on many, many people. What we often do, though, is we are maximalists versus minimalists. We put out thousand mediocrities versus one masterwork. And I think if we could just focus on the 90-91 rule, do that one project, put it out there, we would get much more traction around our ethical ambitions. Absolutely. I implemented that after I met you and um, I still great. do that. I absolutely love it. And I talk about that all the time because it's just such a great, then the day can unfold, however, but if you have that start, it just makes such an impact. I absolutely love it. 
almost done. I just want to ask a couple more questions. One, I love the chapter that is called The Possibilitarian Secret. It's my Swinglish here, so I'm not sure if I'm saying it the right way. But I love, I wrote this down in my journal, fill your mind with great dreams so there is no room for petty concerns. I would love you to expand a little bit on that. Well, you know, I think it, I think it relates to cognitive bandwidth. The more we become possibilitarians, the more we believe in a better world, the more we believe in ourselves, the more we get excited about that compelling cause that allows us to build intimacy with our genius and our gifts, there's no room for all the negativity. And there is just so much negativity in the world right now. Even you hear a lot of conversations and people are complaining and they are, they're worried and they're all those things. And, you know, that's very human. I mean, I think I sure am not, not perfect. And, and I'm always on a, on a path to try to get better and better. So I have a lot to learn, but what I have found is the more you, the more you get busy on your personal Mount Everest, the more you really don't have time to get caught up in all the toxicity right now, the more you read great books, whether it's history and psychology and business building, productivity and creativity, the more you won't really be attracted to books about celebrity gossip or the lowest common denominator of humanity. The more you get really clear on your mission and you write about it every day in your journal and you talk about it and you do the things that light you up, the less you're going to be interested in watching mindless videos of people on bicycles jumping off of house roofs, you know, or, or following, following influencers who are catty and putting other people down. So I think by really connecting with what you want to stand for in the world, and that even brings up uh, towards the end of the Everyday Hero Manifesto, I talk, you know, there's the chapter, death is just a hotel room upgrade. And this idea about legacy that so many people are talking right about right now, I just... In one of the chapters near the end, I just go, like, don't waste your time on legacy. And I explain why. But I think, you know, connecting with death, it sounds morbid, but it's actually really inspirational. Because once you really become intimate with the shortness of life, and you think about it every day, like, you know, there's a concept I have. I haven't shared this very much, but I think about like 25 Christmases. Like, I maybe I'll have 25 Christmases left. And that's a great in my life. And that's a great decision matrix when let's say I want to make a move, whatever the move is, I just go, you know what? 25 Christmases, that's not that much time, you know? And it, it allows me to become more intimate with how short life is. And that just allows you to live much more to the point, which I think really is, is really powerful. Yeah, I do that all the time. I actually make on my online um, workshops, I often inspire people to write down how many months they have to live if they think they're going to be 100 or 120 or whatever their dreams age is. And it's so powerful because it doesn't never sound a lot. So it's a good one. I want to finish up with a couple of things. One is I just wanted to mention I love the shortest chapter in history of productivity. So basically, dream big, start small, act now. I think that is amazing. But um, I want to finish on be not a dream postponers. I could not agree more with that one. So I'd love for you to just finish on that. And then I'm just going to ask you one more thing, and then I'll let you enjoy Rome. 
Well, that chapter that you mentioned, I think I started off by saying one day I was in traffic and I saw an elderly gentleman in a convertible and you know he, he looked like he was loving life. He really did. And I looked at his license plate and I think it said time to live. And it made me think about the fact that so many people wait to travel the world until they're too old to travel. And so many people wait to live their dreams until it's too late to live their dreams. And so, yeah, I just think once you realize that the greatest risk is not taking risks, once you realize that playing it safe is extraordinarily dangerous, like playing it safe is so dangerous to your genius. It's so dangerous to your joy. It's so dangerous to your psyche. It's so dangerous to your creativity. And once you just realize, you know what, the only failure is the failure to try. Once you start really living that philosophy and you start saying, you know what, sure, I'm going to take that trip when it's safe to take the trip. Sure, I'm going to start that project. So what if you fail, you, you learn, you grow, you get inspired. You, you know, to me, my greatest growth has come from my most painful experiences. Without my tragedies, I wouldn't have learned wisdom. I wouldn't have learned strengths that, I, that were hidden, et cetera, et cetera. So be not a dream postponer. Don't follow the crowd and play it safe and live within this very small circle of ability. Take the trips, read the books, make the friendships. You know, it makes me think of one of the greatest things that limit us is a fear of rejection. Oh, how much life we miss because we're afraid of this thing called rejection. We, we're eating a great meal. We want to walk up to the chef and say, that was amazing. We're afraid of rejecting. We see someone that we want to connect with. We don't go up because we're afraid of being rejected. We don't push our masterwork in the world because we're afraid that people will laugh at us. Once you start to practice the methodologies that I teach in the book, you start to insulate yourself against rejection and the grins. You don't really care about what people think of you because who cares anyway? So be not a dream postponer. Get in the game of life. You know, start start doing these things that will make your heart sing and your soul rise. I love that. And it was funny because I practiced this because when I thought, when I saw you were coming out with a book, I was like, I would love to have you back on my podcast. But I was thinking maybe a bit greedy because you've already been once. <laughs> so I thought all he can say is no. So I asked exactly. and, and here you are. So thank you so much. I just want to finish off by saying that added a dream in my dream book because of your dream, which is one day maybe to open a 11-seater restaurant. So I just want to say that I'm super excited. I really hope you make that come true because I cannot wait to eat your favorite pasta somewhere in the world with you. Well, you're, you're so kind and and it is a dream that I have and I'm working on my cooking, my Italian cooking skills. <laughs> I don't know. I think we're the same way, but, you know, just, I love conversations. I love great food and to be able to, and I love cooking for people and, and seeing the joy it brings. If I, if I, if I get the meal right, especially for my family. Yeah, no, I'm sure you do. And uh, I remember when we were in, um, in Spain and we ate at that amazing restaurant outside of Barcelona, it was just, oh, it was just such a great experience. So I'm, I'm thinking that you'll do something like that where it's like such an amazing experience. I'm looking forward to that. I remember that meal very well. It was downstairs in the bodega. Yeah. I remember you sitting around the table and it was like, I don't know, four hour long meal. The, the restaurant 
was Cal Jim and Santi yeah. uh, and his brother took very, very good care of us. Oh, so amazing. Well, that was such an amazing conversation. I do have a um, kind of a online personal growth virtual book club all about personal development and November is going to be your book and I can't wait I I feel like I want to start now but I'm going to have to be patient until we finish the current book but I just want to say thank you so much for first for taking the time but secondly for pouring everything you got into this book it's so amazing and so inspiring and I I hope it will make the world's a number one bestseller for you if it hasn't already. Well, you're so generous, Christina, and it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much. Oh, I hope you are as inspired as me after listening to this. The one thing that gets me every single time I connect or read anything by Robin is that I just get so inspired to be more creative, to treat my work as a world-class craft. And the other thing I always get so inspired by is to do more journaling. I love the way Robin documents his learnings and his life through journaling. So if you are as inspired as me and would love to go deeper, I would love you to join my personal growth club that I start on the 1st of November, 2021. But if you are listening to this after, this is a monthly club and you can start anytime. In this personal growth club, we will be reading and discuss Robin's book and also work through the Everyday Manifesto. There is so much in this book and so much we can implement in our own lives. I just can't wait to do it with you. The Personal Growth Club is for you if you love the idea of a virtual book club focused on helping you with your personal development and your personal growth and want to be around genuinely like-minded people with a growth mindset and that are also interested in learning personal growth and are on the quest to be the best possible version of themselves. To find out more, just go to dreamlifestartshere.com and there is much more for you to, to read and learn. I can't wait to reread this book and most importantly, implement all the learnings in my own life. I will see you back next week. Have a wonderful week.